Great job, guys. Thank you so much. All right, if you would, let's turn our Bibles. I want you to mark your Bibles in two places this morning. I want you to start out with Genesis chapter 1, and I want you to also hold John chapter 1 in your uh, Bible and mark it as well, because we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning kind of comparing and contrasting these two passages of Scripture, which obviously parallel one another for a reason and for a purpose that we're going to get into uh, here in just a minute. Now, before I get started, I do want to encourage you guys, um, for those of you who come on Wednesday nights and make that part of your weekly um, commitment and you're here for dinner and you're part of Bible studies, we, we are going to be in here Wednesday night. For the, we're going to try this for the very first time, this, this open mic night. Uh, Brother John and I will be here, I think uh, Mr. Dean Moore and some others. We're going to have a, a, a mixture from month to month about the panel that will be up here to try to answer your questions. Now, I need to, I need to qualify something for you. I, we don't need you to bring your questions like, should you put carpet or hardwood in your floors, right? Okay, so like, let's make sure that, that we're, 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 we're narrowing the parameters of our questions to anything that have to do with the, you know, the Bible or theology in general. Um, and, and there may be a little bit of crossover, you know, with, with certain current events and things like that. But, but for the most part, y'all understand what we're getting at here, right? We're, we're not here to, to vent about how you're frustrated with the leadership at Christ Church, right? I mean, you can, you can always come and talk to me about that one-on-one -on -one personally. Or if you're, if you're disgruntled about something that's going on in the church, like this is not the time uh, to, to obviously address that. And I, I just wanted to make that clear. But if, listen, here's the reality. Everybody in this room has questions, and some of you have not had those questions adequately answered. And that's where we kind of came up with this idea. Instead of coming up with topics and, and, and kind of preaching on those topics, we thought, hey, we're just going to give this a shot and open up the floor, allow you to ask theological questions. We're going to try to be concise and, and give the best answer that we can. And guess what? If we don't know the answer to that question, we will what? We'll find out. Okay? It's, it's no big deal. Um, you can pre-submit questions. So we're going to try this this month. I, just send me an email if you have a question. Maybe you're not going to be here Wednesday night and you say, hey, you can still, we're going to have it on YouTube, excuse me, YouTube, Facebook. It'll be on our Facebook page. So if you, if you can't be here, you submit your question. We'll try to get to the ones that are submitted as well and give you an answer and then you can watch it or you can go back and watch it later. And so anyway, I just wanted to make sure kind of what you guys uh, were to expect on this coming Wednesday night. But I encourage you to be here. I encourage you to come and bring your questions with you or you can email me in advance. Amen. Hey, I get to do one of the best, the greatest things that I enjoy to do in life today. And that's simply, I get to brag about my Savior. I get to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. I get to talk about how awesome God really and truly is. Uh, if, you, if you spend time around people long enough, you're going to figure out the things that they love, right? You're, I mean, if somebody loves fishing, they're going to talk to you about fishing. If somebody loves sports, they're going to talk to you about sports. If somebody loves their spouse, they're going to talk to you about their spouse. We find out pretty quickly about what people really love and who they really love simply by spending time with them and knowing what they want to talk about. Well, guess what? Today, I get to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's one of the most exciting things that I get to do. And when we look at the book of Genesis, the reason we're going to spend an entire message in this whole study focusing on the person and the work of Jesus Christ is because Jesus is unique. And we'll see this in just a minute, but I'll go ahead and tell you now. He is unique, and he is given exclusive special attention in the scriptures as the creator. Jesus Christ is creator. And we're going to see how the scriptures bear that out this morning. 
Now, as I said, I want you to have your Bibles open to Genesis 1 and then also be, be ready to turn to John chapter 1. And so we're going to show here that in Genesis 1, as you open your Bibles, let's just, let's just kind of start reading through the first few verses here and then we'll jump into this together. There's kind of a, an introduction that I want to get to. Just some, some, Sometimes in this study, there, there's so much to talk about. There's so many things that I would like to talk about. And sometimes I may just give you a little caveat or a little sidebar on something that's interesting. And, and I'm going to do that here as we, as we jump off into the uh, scriptures together. But then we're going to get into these reasons why the Lord Jesus Christ is unique and why he is to be glorified above all as the creator of the universe. And so we're excited to be able to do that. But let's just jump off into Genesis chapter 1, and I'll begin in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now look at what it says. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now flip over to John chapter 1. So let's read these back to back to show you that this is an intentional parallel. John is, is, is playing off of the very opening lines of Genesis, and listen to John's gospel and how it, it begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Look at what it says. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, here's something that's interesting I want to point out from the very beginning, just kind of a, my, little, my little caveat. Notice here that there's special attention given to the earth. Right here off the bat, it says God created the heavens and the what? And the earth. There's no sun, no moon, no stars. Now, early on, uh, throughout the Middle Ages, the, the, some of the traditional stances of the church was that the universe was geocentric. Does anybody know what that means? They believed that the earth was the center of the universe. And then people like Galileo and, and others came along and started doing the math, and they realized, no, the, the sun is not actually the one that's moving around the earth, but the earth is actually moving around the sun. And so they, they, he, you know, he changed the scientific perception of his day to know that the sun, yes, is in the center of our solar system. Now, here's another thing I want to tell you. The sun is also moving. Our solar system is actually moving in transit right now, and the whole universe is what? It's moving. It's expanding right now. So nothing is remaining still, and we, we, we understand that now scientifically, but there's a reason why many theologians once believed that the earth was the center of the universe is because the scriptures give special attention to the earth. And you begin to wonder, why does the scripture... So in a, in a theological sense, the earth is the center of the universe because God pays special attention to this celestial body, the earth. The earth is given priority. Why? Because the earth is the stage upon which God's greatest act of redemption 
would take place. God did not come to Jupiter or to Mars or to any other system of planets to redeem, not just mankind, but to redeem the whole what? The whole universe. He came to earth. And that's why earth is given priority and given prominence when it comes to the scripture. Now let's look at the condition of the earth from the very beginning. Look at what it says. It says, the earth was without form and void. It was without form. That's what it says there in verse 2. And void. I'll tell you how my, my simple mind works. I picture the earth suspended in, in space as like a beautiful lump of clay. That's what it means that the earth was without what? Form. It had not been formed yet, but it was like this beautiful lump of water. Any of you ever done pottery out there? You've got What do you have to add to the clay to make it moldable? you got to put water with it. Well, guess what we find at the very beginning? The earth is covered in water. Interesting. So I kind of picture it as this idea that the earth is this beautiful and, uh, ball of clay that's just waiting for the maker's hands to put, you know, again, we, we give God human, it's called uh, anthropomorphic, um, you know, language to try to speak about God in human terms. So it's almost like the, the earth is there waiting for the maker, to, the potter, to put his hands on this lump of clay so that he could begin to form and give the earth substance and to give the earth some form and to give it some beauty and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the way I picture it. It doesn't necessarily mean the way that it is, but that's what we see at the very beginning. And it is also empty. It's void. So all we really see at the beginning is this, this beautiful ball, this spherical celestial object covered in water that's waiting to be formed, and it is without life. It is uninhabited, okay? And so we see darkness is over the face of the waters. We see the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. Now think about what we just read in John 1. It says, in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of men. And it says, darkness cannot comprehend, cannot overcome the what? The light. So in the very first few passages of Scripture, we have this lifeless, formless, dark ball in the heavens and here we have Jesus who is the word and it says in him was life in other words Jesus is the one that provides life to this world in him was light he is the one that provides the light to the world and to the universe and we're gonna we're gonna delve into that a little bit deeper in weeks to come but it's just interesting to see that from the beginning now let me talk about the waters for just a second because this is fascinating to me I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time here but I think it's worth mentioning water evidently was primary in God's Creation, creative process because we see at the beginning again there's no stars there's no um, no moon no galaxies there's the earth the earth is covered in water now look at what it says in Genesis I'm going to read a little bit further in Genesis 1 7 it says God made the expanse talking about the heaven he separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse and it was so and God called the expanse heaven now, I don't know about you, but just from a basic reading of that scripture, it seems to imply that there was water on the earth and God created the heaven space beyond the reach of earth. And then on the other side of space, wherever that is, what else should we find there? There's supposed to be more water. Now, we can't test that with scientifically, but that's what the scriptures say. That's not the only place. Listen to what the scripture says. Praise him, you highest heavens, you waters above the heavens. Hmm, there seems to be water beyond the furthest reaches 
of our universe. Y'all know our universe is finite. It's not eternal. It does have a definite ending point. What the scriptures are saying to me is that somewhere beyond the definite ending point of the universe, we should find what? We should find water. I don't know what that means. It's fascinating. But listen to what it says in 2 Peter 3, 5. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Now, the, the, one of the reasons I mention this, is, and we'll get into this later, is that from Big Bang cosmology, when, if you believe in the Big Bang, Big Bang believes that the earth came from stars and at the beginning was a hot, molten rock full of lava. That's Big Bang cosmology. If you read it in your scientific textbooks, that's what it will say. The Bible says the earth at the very beginning was a ball of water. Those two don't what? They don't mix. They don't go together. It's either one or the other, right? And so there's just little bitty caveats all throughout the scriptures. Now, we can get into what that really means. And, and if you have questions about that later, what does it mean that there are waters above the heavens and all this kind of stuff? Again, those are just little interesting insights that I like to point out when we're looking at the scriptures. But I'm not going to spend much time there this morning because I want to get to the person that we all came here to hear about, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this passage of scripture, there's, I, have, I have basically seven simple realities that we want to point out to glorify and magnify who Jesus Christ really is. Number one is simply this. God brought everything into existence through the word. Listen, both as a person and as a power. And the reason I want to distinguish this is because when we talk about the word of God, we can look at it from a couple of different perspectives. One way we look at the word of God is in the person of Jesus Christ. John said, in the beginning was... The Word, the Word was with God, so that means the Word is different from who? From God, but the Word was God. So all of a sudden, again, we're starting to get into who God is, the nature of God. We're talking about theology now. We're talking about the nature of the, the Trinity, uh, the divine Godhead is what we like to call it. And the Bible bears that God, there is one God who exists in three distinct persons. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there's special attention now given to the Word. Well, we know the word is Jesus because later John says that the word became what? Flesh and he dwelt among us. So now we understand, okay, now we're talking about Jesus. The word was with God. He was God and he took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. That's who the word is. The word is Jesus. So when we're talking about God brought everything into existence through the word, we're talking about the special agent of creation and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The son, God the son, is the creator of everything which means that God the Son, Jesus Christ, is God. I know that that's a very simplified statement, and it's a doctrinal statement that we affirm and we believe, but I just need to make it clear to you guys. Listen to me. Jesus Christ is God. Amen. He is creator God. We're going to see that a little bit more in a minute. Now, the other thing that we see is that the Word of God is this, this medium of, of this powerful medium that God used to actually create the universe. I mean, now we're starting to talk about, like, how did God create the universe? Well, he opened his what? Again, we give human-like features to God, who is the Spirit. But he opened his mouth somehow or some way. He spoke, and through vocal reverberations, through his vocal expression, everything came into existence. Simply by him commanding it to be out what? Out loud. Out loud means there's a sound wave involved. Something is moving through the universe 
it's sound, it's a vibration, it's waves, whatever you want to call it. But this is the medium, the source of energy, if you will, that God used to create the entire universe. It's called the word of his power or his powerful word. You know, if you look at the life of Jesus, there's some, there's some little instances that kind of show up that help us understand this. Here's a couple I'll share with you. Jesus and the disciples are on the, on the Sea of Galilee. A m- massive storm comes up. They're terrified. What did Jesus do? He commanded and the winds ceased. He told the creation what to do by his, by his word. The other one that comes to mind is in the Garden of Gethsemane as Judas leads the crowd to come up to arrest Jesus. And they say, hey, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he turned around and said, here I am. What happened to him? They fell down. Simply at the command of his word, they all just completely fell down on the ground. They couldn't stand up because of the power of his spoken word. And so we begin to see now what we're talking about is that when Jesus spoke, everything leapt into existence at the same time at the sound of his voice. The galaxies emerged, the mountains were formed, the oceans roared at his command. Of course, we're going to look at the day. He did this in, in periodic days, but all of this happened at the command of his Voice. The angels were born along with the stars. God commanded and it was so. Look at what it says in verse 3 of Genesis 1. And God said. Don't miss that. And God what? Said. He spoke. Let there be. And it was so. Amazing. Listen to Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts. That's talking about the spiritual beings in heaven and the celestial objects in heaven. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Psalm 33, 6 through 9. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Hebrews 11, 3. And again from 2 Peter it says that God made everything by the word of God. Now let me me get a little scientific with you for just a second. I'm not a scientist at all. I like to read, I like to study... Uh, I like to research, but I've I've been reading a lot lately about this idea of quantum physics, quantum mechanics. And again, do I understand it all? Absolutely not. But let me try to help you understand what quantum mechanics is. They're able now with microscopes to, you know, electron microscopes to, to look at the micro level of the universe. The substance of everything is made up of atoms. We know that, right? And for years, they were trying to determine what is an atom, what's the makeup of an, the, you know, the, the nucleus of an atom. You've got electrons, protons, neutrons. You've got all this stuff going on. And they now believe in this quantum theory, which is called, it's called string theory. And that kind of caught my attention because I'm a guitar player, and a guitar has strings. And then you begin to read a little bit more. And, and let me just share with you what string theory is. Listen to this. This string theory throws away the idea that subatomic particles are points. They're, they're not little points or little dots. Like, you know, you, you think of a mat, an electron, a proton, they're just little specks that 
kind of work around each other. Now, string theory throws that out. Listen, it says, instead, they replace it with the idea that tiny vibrating bits of energy called strings or frequencies are what give rise to the different properties of the atom. Vibrations which are similar to the notes on a guitar. One particular type of vibration may give rise to one element or one part of the atom while another gives rise to another. But listen to what it says. By changing the vibration of the strings, you can create different particles. Now, why do I say that? Because basically, I'm going to blow your mind away for just a second. This stage right here is made of wood. We would call it a what? Solid. Solid, right? It's holding me up. You know there's more space in this stage right here than there is matter? Do you know that this stage is not, is not stable right now? Do you know that within every molecular component of this wood right now, do you know what's happening? Movement. Constant vibrations. Within the atoms of this wood, it's everything in this room right now is moving. It's vibrating. Now, now think about that for just a second. What kind of a world would we expect to be if God spoke and commanded and everything came into existence? Maybe we would find a universe that at the very molecular level, everything was simply a what? A vibration. Maybe we would find a universe where sound waves, vibrations, is the substance of the whole material universe. Guess what, guys? That's exactly what we find. That's what I'm talking about when I say the word of God. God commanded, he spoke it into being. And everything that we see around us is a vibration right now. It's just fascinating. And again, we don't really know everything there is to know about quantum mechanics because the deeper that we go, the less that we really understand that we know. But this is as much as we know right now. Go look it up. I think it's very fascinating if you look at it a little more quickly. But let's, let's go deeper now. Okay, so now we understand the, the, the universe was spoken into existence. It was made through the word of God. Number two, not only did Jesus create, but he is the purpose and the reason behind the creation. He is the purpose and the reason behind. Now, when, when John uses the word logos, which is in the beginning was the logos, was the word. There's a, there's a specific idea that he's trying to convey. The Greeks thought of this, this idea, logos, as the, the, the reason behind everything. The Greeks used this word to, to try to, you know, this is the source. This is, this is the reason behind the whole universe is the logos. Now, John, was, he was playing on that, but he was also trying to point us back to the Old Testament where God would manifest himself at times in human form. And he was called the angel of the Lord, and sometimes he was just called Yahweh in human form. And so we, we see this different picture, but the, at, the, at the end of the day, what we're learning in the Old Testament is that, that individual who showed himself to be God in the Old Testament, he was also called the Word. He was called the Word as well. So John is not only playing on the Greek understanding of Logos, but he's also talking about the Hebrew understanding of the word. And he's combining these two, these two things together. And he's helping us understand that Jesus is the purpose and he is the reason behind the creation. In other words, he's the whole point of it all. Amen. When we begin to really study the person of Jesus, special focus is given to him because he is the hero of the story. 
He's the reason we're here. He's the central plot. He's the centerpiece. He's the one that makes it all make sense. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the alpha, the omega, all of that. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. In other words, everything revolves around the Son, S-O-N. That's who Jesus is. He is the purpose behind creation. Now look at Genesis 1. Look at, look at what it says in verse 2. Now, I, I want to go ahead and, and go here for just a second. It says, The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And now we automatically are introduced to another character. The, who, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the very first, second verse of the Bible, we have God, Elohim, and we have the what? The Spirit. The Spirit is involved in the act and the work of creation. He's hovering over the face of the waters. And then when you read John 1.1, we understand that it was actually the Word who created everything. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all involved in doing what? In creating the universe. They all had a role to play. Let me tell you how I see it. Let's look at the roles. This is the way my mind works. I believe God the Father... Did you do that, Dion? All right, let's go. Oh, devil. Get behind me, devil. Amen. So let's, let's, this is the way I look at, at the roles of, of the Godhead. Remember, Father, Son, Spirit. So God the Father, I see him as kind of the architect of creation. He drew up the what? The plans. He drew up the blueprints. Okay? He turned around and he gave the blueprints to who? To the Son. He said, now you go and what? You go build it. You go make it. You go create it. You make it happen. And I'm not saying they did this exclusively of each other, but this is, again, trying to put it into in, in my own brain. So God the Father drew up the plans. He's the, he's the designer. He's the architect. He gave it to the Son, who's the agent of creation. He's the general contractor. He's the builder. He makes it happen. He speaks, and everything comes into existence. He takes the raw materials of the universe and creates the whole universe. And then we have the Holy Spirit who's waiting. He's hovering. He's just waiting for the Son to begin creating because here's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the animator of creation because he breathes life into everything. And we see that in the character and the nature of God, that they were all highly involved in this work of creation. And so Jesus, being the purpose and the reason of creation, he has this relationship with the Father and with the Spirit before the foundation of the world, and they are all very much involved. But now let's get a little more specific. Let's talk about the divine agent. Jesus is the divine agent who performed the work of creation. He's the one who actively carries out this supernatural work. He brought it all into existence. I don't think that there's a mistake that when Jesus spent his 30-some-odd years on the, on the planet as a man, I don't think there's any mistake that his trade was he was a carpenter. He was the son of a carpenter. He worked with his hands 
Think about the irony. He took the wood from the trees that he created to help his family make a living. Think about that. Think about this. He created the very tree that was used to make the cross upon which he would hang to die for the sinners who put him there. This is the, the God, God the Son. This is the divine agent of creation. Okay, So he is the one that performed the work of creation. Now don't miss this. We're going to get into this a little bit later in subsequent weeks. But he not only created everything physical, visible, but he also created everything invisible. We forget that sometimes. Let me read this to you from Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, talking of Jesus. He is the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, when it says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, does not mean that he is created. It means that he has a unique place of prominence and preeminence over the entire universe. I'll give you an example. Who was Abraham's beloved and only son? We say Isaac, but Isaac was not his firstborn son. Ishmael was Abraham's firstborn son. So Ishmael came before Isaac chronologically, but Isaac was the heir to the promise. Isaac was the beloved son of promise that God chose to inherit the covenant promises from Abraham. In other words, Isaac was preeminent before Ishmael, not because he was chronologically born before him, but because he was the heir of the family. And the same thing, Jesus Christ, there's no one chronologically before him because he is God. He is the uncreated creator of the universe, but he, on the other hand, is the beloved son, meaning he has prominence and preeminence above everybody else in the universe. That's what it means. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. No one is greater than him. No one is before him. No one is above him. That's what it means that Jesus Christ is the divine agent of creation. Now here's the next thing. Not only did Jesus create everything, but he presently is the sustainer of everything. Jesus is the sustainer of the universe, actively holding everything together. Let me share a, a passage of scripture. As it said there in Colossians 1.17, y'all notice that? It said, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And then in Hebrews chapter 1, let me, let me turn there just to read this to you. Hebrews 1 says this. It says, in these last days... God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Listen, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That means that right now, the reason that every one of us has not disintegrated into nothingness is because Jesus has, hold, has held everything together. He is sustaining the creation right now, actively. If Jesus lets go for a millisecond, everything what? Everything falls apart, but he holds it all together. We forget that sometimes. 
He holds all of the mathematical constants in the universe together. He holds the, the, the planets in their orbits together. Um, I, I want to I share this one reality to you again as we go into more quantum mechanics when they when they get into the the molecular structure of the atom they say you know what there's this force and they call it the strong nuclear force and the reason they call it the strong nuclear force is because let me tell you in the nucleus of an atom you have positively charged molecules called protons back to science class right you got electrons that are negative around the nucleus of the atom, but here's the reality. The nucleus of the atom is positively charged. Well, I don't know about you. Last time you took two magnets with positive charges and tried to put them together, what happens? They repel each other. But in the nucleus of an atom, the positively charged protons stick together. Guess what? They don't know why. So you know what they call it? This is the strong nuclear force. Great. I know him as Jesus. He's the sustainer of the universe. He holds everything together even when it physically and mathematically and chemically doesn't make sense. The, the nucleus of an atom should completely repel against each other. Everything in the universe should completely disintegrate at this moment. And yet something or better someone is holding it together. That, that's what I'm talking about. Jesus is the sustainer of the universe. Number five. Now this one really blows my mind. The same creator who existed with God before the cre creation of the world. The same creator who spoke everything into existence. The same creator who formed this universe and all of its beauty and complexity. The same creator who is now presently holding everything together by the word of his power. This very same creator stepped out of heaven. Took on human form. And was born into this sinful, filthy, corrupt world. The creator entered into his own creation. Guys, when we celebrate Christmas, we should be in awe of the reality that God was willing. Jesus Christ was willing to step out of heaven, enter his own creation in the form of a man. Let me tell you something. It is one of the most difficult. We just accept that like, oh, this is normal everyday stuff. Listen, for a Jew, again, they would understand, yeah, sometimes the Lord Yahweh will appear as a man, but they really had a difficult time understanding that he would become a what? A man. That he would permanently become a man. Did y'all know that Jesus is permanently a man? After he came and lived and died and was resurrected, he didn't stop being a man. He's still a what? He's still a man. He took on human form permanently. That blows my mind. Why? Well, we know why. We know because he came to redeem mankind. We know that there's special interest, again, in the humiliation of Jesus when he came in the incarnation of Jesus. He came for a specific purpose, and that specific purpose was that he, the Son of God, became a man so that men might become the sons of God, so that he could redeem us. We needed saving and God said, I'll do it. He subjected himself to weakness, to pain, to suffering. He limited himself to space and time. He, I mean, think about it. The God of the universe had to obey his parents. Think about that. That blows my mind. I mean, at any moment, he could have said, no, forget you. I'm, I'm, I'm your God. No. No, he, because he fulfilled all righteousness 
and obeying his parents, fulfilling the law. I mean, this is, this is just mind-blowing to me. And the, the greatest thing is that he subjected himself even unto death, even death on a, the worst form of death. That's our God. Now, again, let's talk about mankind for just a second. When God created, as we get into the, the different days of creation, day six, God did something special. He formed man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed life into him, and he made man in his own image. He did not make anything else on earth in his own image. Man is to be a, a true reflection of who God is. Man is unique. He, he is the crowning glory of God's creation. And that's why Jesus was willing to become a man. In Hebrews chapter 1, let me, let me read this to you. Isn't it interesting that Hebrews 1, if you've ever studied the book of Hebrews, it makes a, a bit, very distinct contrast between God becoming a man, but he did not become an angel. He did not take on angelic form permanently. He took on what? Human form. Hmm. In the book of Hebrews, it says he didn't come to help angels. As a matter of fact, when, when the devil and his angels made their choice, there's been these divine rebellions. When they made their rebellion against God, there is no redemption for angels. That's why the angels look at what's happening on earth and to see the Son of God take on human form to become a man, to save mankind. They are fascinated with this whole thing of redemption because they know they don't get redemption. But we do. Again, that special attention that God gives to mankind and to the earth. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 1. Just take this in for just a second. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. He never said that to the angels. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, when Jesus was born, he says, let all God's angels worship him. The angels are seen worshiping a man. It just so happens to be the God-man, Jesus Christ, God in human form. That's from Hebrews 1, 5, and 6. And so we see this unique role that Jesus was willing, the creator was willing to take on. And, and we know the reason why, because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of what? Of sin, And so the first man, Adam, blew it. We're born in the image of Adam. We're sinners fallen. We're, we're by nature children of wrath. And so the new Adam, the second Adam, had to come to restore and redeem that which had been lost by shedding his own blood for the forgiveness of our sin. Then he was buried and on the third day what? Resurrected in his body. He was resurrected bodily. You know what that tells you and me? All, all of us who are in Christ, we too one day will receive resurrected bodies praise the lord he has not forgotten to redeem the physical part of our reality it just hasn't happened yet okay and so these are the things that we think about when we think about jesus the creator who came and became the savior here's the next one after jesus was raised from the dead he ascended to heaven where he now sits as king and lord over the whole universe we talk about the second coming of Jesus quite a lot. But you know, one of the things we often miss, sometimes we miss the ascension and the session of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the session means? It means when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, he sat down. 
What happens when a king sits down? What does that signify? It begins as what? It begins his reign. It begins his rule. When it says Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven, it means that Jesus sat down to be the highest supreme king of the universe, both of heaven and of earth. And that's where he is right now, reigning supreme over all creation. He exercises authority over all creation. And that's what gives the Great Commission even more significance because we forget when Jesus told his disciples before ascending to heaven, what did he tell them? All authority has been given to me both in heaven and on earth. Therefore, as my people, as my children, now you go in my what? In my authority. In other words, the authority that Jesus has over all creation, things both visible and Invisible has now been given to you and to me to fulfill the, the, the job that he's given us to do, guys, which is to go fight the kingdom of darkness, is to go spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, is to go and share the love of Christ to all the nations so that people may be saved and brought into this relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what this whole authority thing is all about. That's who our Jesus is. He is the high king of heaven, and he is the high king of heaven right now, that's who we have as our God and our Savior. I mean, does that, that, let's don't underestimate that. Let me share the last one. Jesus will return in power and glory to ultimately liberate and redeem all of creation and make everything new. At the end of the day, when you're sitting around, maybe you're battling financial trouble. Maybe you're having relationship problems at home. Maybe you're battling some type of sickness or you're, you're depressed. Maybe, maybe you're just tired of just seeing all the, the evil and the pain and the suffering in the world. And you know that, that deep, deep desire that you have in your heart that you just, you're just ready for, for all of this to, to go away. You're just ready for all, all of this pain and suffering and sickness and evil. You're just ready for it to all be over so that we can finally, you know, live in a better world. Does anybody else, does anybody else identify with that at all? Guess what you're hoping for? That's heaven. That's what heaven is. It's the absence of death and pain and suffering and sorrow and sickness. That's exactly what Jesus has promised to do when he returns. He's going to restore all of creation. I just want to share one passage with you just to kind of uh, bring this home. In, in Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite passages of scripture, listen to what it says. For I consider the present sufferings of this present time, they're not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free. It will be liberated from its bondage to corruption. And it will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. Again, we're groaning, we're hurting, we're tired. We ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly 
as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Guys, all that really means is that God has made a promise to make everything new again. He's going to recreate. It's called the regeneration of the world. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. This is the promise of God. And the only one that can do that is Jesus. Because he's the original creator. He's the sustainer. He's the redeemer. And he is also coming as king to recreate and make everything new to prepare a place for his people. That's the God that we know and love and that we serve. And that will not happen until he returns. And that is why we do wait. And we wait patiently for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the Word become flesh who made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory, glorious of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Listen, he came the first time to make his dwelling among us to accomplish a purpose that he only could accomplish to save us from our sin. And guys, he's coming again to make his dwelling among us. All of us should want to be with him, to dwell with him forever and ever and ever. And there's only one way, if you know him. Now, I did a little bit of bragging on Jesus today. But I'm going to give you three minutes to watch this video because I think this, young, this gentleman does a little bit better bragging on Jesus than I do. So I want to share this video with you, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, bring everything to a conclusion, okay? We got that for you guys. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key 
good, right? We watch it again. And listen, I mean, that doesn't even scratch the surface of who he is. I'm going to ask one last question as our praise team comes up. Do you know him? Do you really know him? And when, when you hear the name Jesus, is, is, that, is that personal relationship with him so real to you that you know him better than you know anyone else? Do you want to know him more? Listen, today, if anything, you may have come in here, maybe your life's a mess, maybe, maybe you don't know what tomorrow brings, maybe you need help, maybe you need hope, whatever it may be. I'm trying to tell you today that the, this Jesus this king that we're talking about today, he offers a personal relationship with you. The Lord of glory, the king of kings, the one who now sits in the highest place of the universe. Right now, this very minute, he says, I will enter into your life. I will offer you a personal relationship. You can have a relationship with the king of glory. There's no greater news than that. Amen. And so we're going to sing here in just a moment. And as we sing, I just want to give you guys an opportunity always. I'm always here. We have other people in the, in the audience who are available. I see Mr. Jim over here, one of our elders. If you need to talk to somebody, if you need to pray with somebody, if you want to know Jesus for the very first time, this is the time to do it because I want you to know him. More than anything else, I want you to know him. And so as we pray, I just want you guys to do business with God wherever you may be. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful and grateful that not only are you the king and creator of the universe, but you humbled yourself. You took on the form of a man that you may identify with us in our weakness. You came to share in suffering so that you would know what we're going through. Then you went even further to lay down your own life on a cross that we deserve so that we could be set free and forgiven. Through your resurrection, we have eternal life. Through your ascension, we have the hope and promise that you're in control of all things and we know that you will come again. And I pray, Father, for anyone in this room that does not know you, I want them to know you like that. And so, Lord, help us now to respond in however you're leading and calling us to respond. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we do pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Would y'all stand as we continue to...